to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hi, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 62. When Claire Waring was growing up in Yorkshire, one of her friends lost her father to cancer at a very early age. That had a big impact on Claire. And when her grandfather was then diagnosed with a rare form of leukaemia, she promised him that she would devote her life to cancer research. And that is exactly what she has done, whilst also proving to be an extremely talented entrepreneur and an astute businesswoman. Having founded and developed the research business Nexus Oncology and steered it through two acquisitions, Claire dabbled with early retirement, but it didn't suit her, and in 2017 she launched Cumulus Oncology, a so-called hub-and-spoke business model, which is better known in the US and the UK, and exists to create, in her case, a minimum of five spin-out companies within the next three years. Claire, who made Edinburgh her home after studying for a PhD there, is a wonderful listen. She also reveals the influence of Jacques Cousteau, a rare talent for extreme flat-pack furniture assembly, and her love of the music of two-tone records back in the day when some of us were listening to the likes of Selector and The Specials. If you enjoy this episode, why not subscribe to the series? Simply search for Scottish Business Network on Spotify, Apple Music, or any of the usual podcast platforms. Claire Waring, hello. Hello, Fraser. Great to speak to you. And where in the world are you today, Claire? And uh, and the question that everybody is answering at the moment, how has the, the pandemic crisis been affecting you, both in terms of your business and, and you personally? Well, I am working from home, which is Edinburgh for me, Fraser. And um, yeah, just looking out of the window at the sunshine, finally made it to Edinburgh, which is great. So in terms of lockdown, I mean, it's been a pretty challenging year for everybody. But in terms of lockdown for me personally, I I have to confess it's not been too awful. I think facing many of the challenges that everybody's facing, not being able to see you know, elderly relatives, friends. Um, but in terms of just being based in Edinburgh, we're lucky we've got green space and, you know, we've got mm. sea on the doorstep and, and seven hills in the city. So I, I have to count my blessings. And and professionally, I have to say it's been um, rather positive for us because we've, we, we came together as a team and got our investment into the new company that I'm involved with, Cumulus Oncology, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and I think we've all had to embrace technology in order to scale the business and, and really start coming together as a team. And we've got team members in Denmark, France, uh, with aspirations for team members in the States. So I think having to practice working remotely and, you know, holding virtual team members, team, team meetings rather, mm. has been really positive for us. Um, I think we've all been very effective. We've got a lot done with the time that we've had. You know, decisions get made quickly on these Zoom calls and, and Microsoft Teams calls that we have. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's been really great to see everybody embracing the technology and, and just getting on with it. We've been fundraising for one of the companies that we've created. And in the old world, we would have been going up and down to London, flying off to Paris, you know, going to conferences in San Francisco. And, and we've not done any of that. Um, and we've still managed to progress things. So, yeah, more positives than negatives. Looking at the flip side, though, something I did want to ask you about is you've devoted your, your career to the development of successful cancer treatments. And a recent guest on this podcast was Dame Laura Lee, who's the CEO of Maggie's. Uh, and she was saying that um, she was concerned 
that it would take UK cancer care in, in all its various forms. It would take several years to recover from the impact of the, the pandemic crisis because of the, you know, due to the lockdown restrictions on cancer screening, palliative care, chemo, non-essential surgery, all that side of things. What's your take on that, Claire? Well, I'm not at the front line of um, cancer care like, you know, many of my colleagues are, but I, I think, you know, that, that is absolutely, unfortunately, the case, that the pandemic has been devastating for many people living with cancer, and I think devastating from the perspective of delays in diagnosing cancer. As I say, I'm not on the front line myself, but I have many friends and colleagues who are, and, and they, they're all saying the same thing. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's, it must be very, very stressful if you're actually mm. going through cancer treatment at the moment or waiting for a diagnosis. Well, on a brighter note, let's, uh, let's explore your, your life now, Claire. So where, where did you grow up and what did you dream of doing for a career? Were you always set for working in life sciences? Um, well, it's interesting that you asked the question because um, it really did make me think about, you know, growing up as a child, what did I want to do? And um, so just very briefly, I, I was born in Cumbria um, and I spent my early life there. And then I had a brief stint in Buckinghamshire before moving to Yorkshire. So from the age of five to the age of 18, I lived in Yorkshire. And I actually, reflecting on this, I, I was always interested in the natural world. You know, right. biological sciences was always something that really interested me. My favorite program on TV when I was a kid was The Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau. So oh, yes. uh, I, I loved that. it. And, and just everything about the, the natural world just interested me. And, yeah, I think when I started school and, you know, moved into high school where you started to have a more modular approach to education, it was definitely the sciences that attracted me so hmm. yeah I, I think I probably always was destined for you know a, a career in life sciences but in terms of cancer research there really were two very defining experiences in my younger life one was a, a very good friend of mine's father was diagnosed with cancer as, as, you know, he was a very young man I look back now right. and I think gosh he was so young and he unfortunately did die in his mid-30s right. um, and I think I was about 11 12 when that happened and my friend was a few years younger and I did see the devastating impact that had on the family. Mm. And then a couple of years later, my own grandfather was diagnosed with a very rare type of leukemia. Um, and that was a, you know, a very defining moment for me as a, as a young person. Um, and I remember promising my grandfather that I would spend my time moving forward working in cancer research. And that's right. what I've done. Wow. So, yeah, there really was a, mm. yeah, that's from Jacques Cousteau onwards. Indeed, yes. <laughs> But no, a very powerful motivation. One thing I'm always interested in is what sort of personality traits you think you, you inherited from your parents? That's a good question. Um, well, I hope a sense of humour because um, both my parents had a very good... So I do. My mother's still alive. Unfortunately, I lost my father to cancer about 14 years ago, but both very strong sense of humour. I guess integrity. You know, my dad's adage in life was you've always got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and, and do the right thing. And I think I've you know, tried to adopt that in my adult life. Uh, I guess a drive, you know, just to keep going right. through thick and thin yeah. and, and hopefully a positive attitude. They're both very positive people. And in the late 80s, you gained a PhD at Edinburgh for multi-drug resistance in solid tumours. How did that experience shape you and the development of your career? Well, I think I was, first of all, was very motivated to do a PhD in a cancer research Feel, you know, a cancer research subject. So I chose the PhD in Edinburgh because it was cancer research. 
and, and moved north of the border and have stayed here ever since. Um, and my PhD itself, I was very lucky that it was a very collaborative project between you know, bench scientists, but also oncologists working in cancer care. So, you know, frontline cancer care. So right. I think that really gave me a sense of, you know, the science is one thing, but the science has to translate into something that is a new treatment for cancer patients. Right. For me to, to have meaning, you know, the, the science had to be translatable. Mm. Um, so I think it really, I think I just, you know, really enjoyed that interaction with both scientists and physicians, oncologists, you know, whose day job was to treat patients. And I think it motivated me more, it, it motivated me to be more directly involved in how that bench research does translate into treatment. So I chose to, after my PhD, I chose to move into the pharmaceutical sector. And um, right. somebody told me about this job called clinical research. And, and at the time, I had no idea what it was. But then when I realized it kind of sat between the bench and, and the scientists in the bench and the clinicians treating patients, I realized that that was just where I wanted to be. And it was a, was a little bit of a light bulb moment. So I, I moved into clinical research in the pharmaceutical sector. So it sounds like a, a very happy start to your career, doing something that you're really motivated to do and enjoying it as well. So what were those, um, you know, what did you go on to do before you, you set up your own business? Well, I continued to work in the pharmaceutical sector. Um, initially, um, the, the work I was doing wasn't in the cancer research field. And I think I very quickly realized that although I wanted to be in cancer, um, sorry, although I wanted to be in clinical research, I wanted to be in clinical research as it applied to cancer. So I, I guess I, I realized that very early for me, um, for my entire career, I, I needed to be involved in cancer research and, and I've continued to do that ever since. And I was lucky enough to be involved in a number of clinical research projects that did ultimately lead to new treatments, particularly in the breast cancer and colon cancer fields. And that, right. that was incredibly gratifying. Again, very collaborative. Um, you know, you get to work with bench scientists, you get to work with oncologists treating patients. But I think to be involved in a project where you see the outcome as something positive for patients living with cancer, that, that was really a, you know, I've been lucky enough to work on a number of programs where that's happened, both in my earlier career and, and later on as I've run my mm. own business. And I would say that's still probably one of my, you know, key motivators is to keep working on projects right. that ultimately improve outcomes for cancer patients. So, yeah, I, I was very lucky to, to be involved in some of those earlier programs. And I guess that really did inform what I wanted to do later. It made me realize that that sense of purpose I got from that kind of work and the professional gratification I got was something that was very important to me. And then in, in 1999 dawn of the new millennium you, you founded nexus oncology now this is it's always interesting to me when people actually set up their own businesses so did you always want to, was there always a a secret entrepreneur lurking away in the background of, of your mind claire and what was the original vision for the business and what were the main challenges that you faced growing it yeah and, and interestingly um you know being asked that question it does make you really reflect did I always want to do that be an entrepreneur and in fact I, I can honestly say Fraser that I don't think I did set out to right. be an entrepreneur right. I think I really wanted I got to the point in my career where I just wanted a little bit more um 
I guess, autonomy. So, you know, I could pick and choose some of the projects that I was getting involved with. And I think when you work for big companies, regardless of, you know, which company it is, I think there's a big company culture that happens. And again, regardless of sector, I just think there's a big company organization that happens. And for me, that was just starting to, you know, not quite be in tune with where, what was important to me. And I think being able to pick and choose projects was something I wanted to have more um, choice over. And I guess the, you know, the commercial side of drug development was, you know, big pharma companies. Yes, everybody wants to develop new treatments for patients, but there's also this big commercial aspect to it as well. So I guess that was starting to grate a little bit. Um, so I really set up as, you know, Nexus Oncology when it started was a consultancy business. And I worked right. on some interesting projects with, you know, people that I'd worked with in cancer research over the years um, and really enjoyed it. But it really got very busy very quickly. And then I had a couple of other colleagues who said, well, you know, if you've got any extra work going and we're, we're thinking of going freelance as well. And it just really evolved from there. And I guess in early noughties, maybe 2002, there was that realization of, well, I can just keep doing this just with a small group of people, or actually we can evolve this into something bigger and, mm. and, you know, really get involved in more interesting projects, more, you know, more projects, more different types of therapeutic approaches. Um, so yeah, I, I probably at that point didn't realize it, but I became an entrepreneur and, and started to take a few risks in terms of growing so a business. An accidental entrepreneur. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I honestly can say I never set out with an aspiration to, you know, run a business, scale a business in, in the way that I did. But I guess it was one of those, well, there's an opportunity here. And, you know, I've got a group of like-minded people that I like working with. I, I think we can mm. create something very special. So let's give it a go. So 13 years later, you sold that business. But was the the growth of Nexus quite a smooth upwards curve? I mean, it all sounds like it went pretty well, or there, you know, some, there must have been some tricky moments as well. Oh, well, there certainly were. <laughs> there certainly <laughs> were. Yeah. So, um, well, again, you know, in the early days, it was relatively small. But I, th I think when you're building a business, certainly when you build it organically, which is the way we all we all did it at Nexus, you know, there are challenges with you know, channeling profit from one year into growing the business the next year and, and where you allocate the budget. And mm. um, and I guess you've always got to be chasing new business. I, I know you've run your own business as well, Fraser, and, and this mm. probably will resonate with you, but you're constantly chasing the next contract. Mm. And, and, you know, and I think when you're on the services side of the business, which is what we were at Nexus, we, you know, we were providing clinical research support for a growing number of different clients you know, that, that can have its challenges. I mean, we were very lucky in that most of the clients we worked with were just fantastic and it was very collaborative. But, you know, there are bumps along the way and, and you know, changes in personnel on teams that can create some issues. But on the whole, it was, it, it, it was positive. I think the financial crisis of 2008 was a really big thing for us because the biotech sector and, and most of our clients at that time were biotech companies was really quite badly affected by the financial crisis. So we did go through a, a couple of years where, you know, it really was very challenging to to kind of even just stay still. You know, we had a couple of years where we didn't grow, but we managed to stay still and, and stay trading. 
Um, so yeah, it, it had its challenges. Um, but on the whole, I was incredibly lucky with the, you know, the team of people I had around me were just fantastic. And, and I mean, I know a lot of people say this, you know, it's, it wasn't about me, it was about the team, but it truly was in my case about the team. It, Nexus Oncology would never have happened and would never have been as successful as it was without the team. The second half of the interview continues in a few seconds after this. Do you need a communications expert to help you with your marketing, brand storytelling or strategic content? Find out what I, Fraser Allen, can provide at www.allencoms.co.uk. That's Allen with two L's and an E and comms with two M's. And you, and you you pushed on through all those difficult times with with that team, and and obviously made the business a very attractive proposition to Ockham Development, who bought it in a cash and sharing transaction. And then you had a, a second successful exit two years later when Ockham was acquired by Chilton Development. So, having emerged from all that and and stayed with Chilton for for another couple of years, how do you reflect back on that whole? Um, passage of time and, and the, le- the main lessons that you learned from it so just to um back up a little bit the, the way the Ockham transaction happened um I mean they were a classic example of a company looking to grow through acquisition you know in, in stark contrast to Nexus right. Oncology which is an organic growth story Ockham development were very much about you know buy and build so they had identified Nexus as a company they wanted to acquire and it was just the right time and the right place for us. It really felt for me it was the only um, or it was the best way to guarantee the jobs really for, for the team that to become part of this bigger organization. So they acquired Nexus Oncology and it was for everybody else. It was cash, you know, just a straight cash transaction for their shares, because at the time we were bought, you know, 25 percent of the business was owned by the staff. And for me, it was some cash. And then I then became the second biggest shareholder in Ockham, which, you know, was good for everybody, really. It kept me vested. It kept me motivated. I wanted to make sure that it was successful and also that I delivered on the commitments I'd made to Ockham when they acquired Nexus. So it worked out quite well. The company did. When we went through about six months where, you know, Nexus had been acquired, I think everybody was waiting to see, well, it's going to be a mass staff exodus. and, And there wasn't. And so, you know, within six months, we were really starting to pick up more and more business and, and continue to grow. And then the company had such a, I guess, a growth trajectory that it was then an acquisition target by Chilton. So we were acquired by Chilton right. two and a half years after Ockham had acquired Nexus. And, and you know, I stayed for, for a while with, with Chilton and very much in the background, more of a, you know, just there to make sure there was some continuity and I guess the reason I did it was partly because many of the team members that I'd worked with during the whole of that time stayed with Chilton so yeah. um so yeah I did I, I stayed for a year or so and and then decided in 2015 it was time to take a step back from it all and and you're probably going to laugh when I tell you what I really thought but I thought I'm going to retire and I'm oh, going to yeah, take a step <laughs> that back. That went well. <laughs> I'm going to take a step back. I'm, I'm going to kick back. I'm, you know, I'm just going to do a few bits of consultancy here and there and um, and have a really nice life-work balance. And for so a couple did, of years, did you, yeah. 
Did you like, did you just get bored, or did you just find yourself just you got an idea in your head and you couldn't shake it off, and, yeah. and there you were starting another business? Yeah, I didn't get bored. I definitely didn't right. get bored, um, but it was the latter, really, Fraser. It was right. just that you know I had this growing idea, a seed of an idea. I'd seen lots of really interesting treatments, potential treatments, you know, <laughs> excuse me, assets for treating mm. cancer. So when I say an asset, I mean a molecule or an antibody or a vaccine or Right. you know, cell-based therapy, but I'd seen lots of really interesting cancer research projects, which had the potential to be treatments. And I just couldn't not do it. You know, it was just, I think, I guess it's always been, as you've heard from some of my descriptions of my earlier motivations, it's always felt like, I guess, cancer research gives me a sense of purpose. It, it's not just a job. And so mm. I guess I felt I was, I still had, I still had something to give. And I still wanted to be part of the, the broader cancer research community. And so, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> I couldn't let it go. I couldn't, I couldn't let it lie. Um, and, and what was and it like that's... launching a business again from, from scratch? Presumably, I mean, you, you'd learned so much in the interim that you must have had a bit of a head start in terms of knowing what to do. I guess so. I mean, I guess there was the benefit of having run a business, you know, knowing what it took, knowing what the challenges would be. Um, the network of people that I had met over that, that those years of running Nexus, growing Nexus, you know, Ockham and Chilton and, and all of that good stuff, that network was still intact. Right. And, you know, I've always maintained that if you want to do good work, you you, you work with good people. Um, and that's what really helps you achieve the results. So I guess I went into it a little bit more, op- my eyes open, knowing that it was not going to be easy and what the challenges would be. Um, I guess I was lucky that I didn't, you know, I didn't have to rely on a certain income and, and make decisions about what to do based on, you know, needing a certain amount of income. I had a degree of freedom to really explore what was out there in terms of new therapies in, in the cancer research field, what people might be out there that might want to come on board with this new venture. So I, I spent a couple of years really building it. Um, yeah, and, and here we are today with Cumulus Oncology. <laughs> Talking of the name, this is something that always intrigues me about coming up with names, particularly in the sort of life science field. It's quite tricky, I think. I mean, my business partner and I, when we started our company, we ridiculously spent two days sitting around drinking coffee, deciding what to call ourselves. <laughs> How do you come up with a name like Cumulus Oncology? Cause it's, it's rather a, it's, a, it's a nice name. Yeah, it's... It it, it just came to me. I was walking around right. Charlotte Square in Edinburgh one day and the name just came to me and I just thought, oh, it's a, I like that name. Right. <laughs> um, and it, it kind of, I guess, described partly what we wanted to achieve where we were. So I think the difference between our business model and, say, a biotech business model is in a biotech company, you maybe have one, you know, clinical uh, one cancer research program that you're developing or you might have more than one but oftentimes you're you know you're very wedded to the key project in that one company and everybody is invested both you know time effort money and so there's a I guess a a vested interest to keep going And, Mm. and, and you're kind of the science is the science as it is at that moment in time and it you know sometimes the the data that the scientific data can tell you that maybe it's time to stop, but because of all the vested interests, 
you keep going. And, and with Cumulus, I wanted to do something that was creating biotechs at moments in time. But each moment in time that we created the biotech, the science was evolved and, and there was a cumulative learning. Right. Um, and and uh, I guess cumulative companies. So we're, we're creating not just one biotech, but our business model has us creating five, a minimum of five biotechs in the next three years. And I guess accumulating knowledge, accumulating right, yeah. value. I don't know. It just felt like a good word, cumulus. And well, yeah, it was nothing maybe... to do with clouds. <laughs> that was my first thought. But I mean, maybe after this, you know, if you want to start another business, you could start a business branding business. <laughs> you're definitely onto something there. Um, and now the actual model that you're beginning to describe there, Claire, for the business, uh, my understanding is it, it was quite an unusual one in the UK, although something that had that's better known in the States. Is, is that correct? Yeah, very much so. I mean, there's a number of organisations over the years in the States that have created this business model. And People describe it as a hub-and-spoke model. Um, I mean, essentially, the model is, you know, we have a team of 16 people at Cumulus, a range of skill sets, you know, business people, corporate lawyers, IP attorneys, scientists, you know, oncologists. Um, and we're that, you know, we call, we call ourselves that, you know, the top team, if you like, and we're responsible for finding novel science, novel therapeutic approaches, and creating a company around that science or that molecule or, or you know, right. that, that cancer research project. We have to take on investment into that vehicle that we create. Um, and we're partnering with a number of different life science VCs to, you know, enable that to happen more easily. Um, but, yeah, the, the business model is, is very well established in the States. There's been some companies um, over the last few years that have done very well with the model. Um, very well funded, a company called Cullinan Oncology, another company called Bridge Bio, another one called Sidan Therapeutics. Not all of them exclusively in oncology. But yeah, it, it's, it's, I guess the model is very well established and very well proven in the States. And it's been harder, I think, to convince investors in Europe to get on board with it in the early days. And I think now we've scaled the company a bit more and, and you know, we've got a couple of proof of concepts that we can do it. It's going to be easier. But, um, yeah, there really hadn't been a model like this in Europe before we started, and specifically in oncology, that we are the first one. And what's the, the long-term plan for the business? So, as I said earlier, you know, our goal is to create a total, a minimum of five new companies within the next three years, and each of those companies will have its own specific cancer research project. Um, the I, I mean, for investors to come in and invest in those companies that we create, the specific, you know, we call them special purpose vehicles, but those specific companies that house one of the cancer research projects, for VCs, life science investors to come into those companies, they have to see that there's an exit. So we've modeled the business based on, you know, within the next five years, one of those companies being acquired by pharmaceutical company or another biotech company and at the time it will be acquired cumulus will have a specific share of that company and that share that cumulus owns of that company will come back into topco in, into cumulus All right. and that makes us sustainable you know what is almost like a virtual circle you know the the vc that's invested in the biotech we've created has their exit cumulus shareholders have their exit but it comes back into cumulus 
and, and it means that we can then have a bit more autonomy about future projects. You know, we might be able to get involved in more um, blue sky projects where there's a bit more risk. Um, so the goal with the business is to really become sustainable and, and to show that this model actually is a new way or, or an alternative way of doing pharmaceutical development. You are now, of course, an adopted Scot, Clare. So you've <laughs> made, uh, made Edinburgh your, your home. Um, and so when you're not doing when you're not starting and selling businesses and um, working in the in the field of life sciences what, what do you enjoy doing what's a typical weekend like for Claire Waring well a typical weekend outside of lockdown would have probably involved yomping up hills or you know going off to the wilderness parts of Scotland which I love um, in lockdown we're obviously a little bit more limited but I do love the great outdoors um, I got into paddleboarding a few years ago, right. and, and that's just become a whole new kind of thing for me that I I love doing. But yeah, I, I I mean Scotland is such a beautiful country. It's just so I don't know breathtaking. The west coast of Scotland is one of my favourite areas, you know, and Gerlach and places mm. like that. So yeah, I mean in an ideal world when we're not locked down, I'd be hopefully. <laughs> yumping up a hill somewhere or walking on a beach yes well you've always got uh you know portobello and arthur's seat to, to well and to be honest time being. we're very lucky that we do have that even in lockdown i have That's been true. doing a bit of yomping with seven hills in edinburgh to walk around so yeah i've been doing a wee bit of that great and something i always like to ask people if you, if you could give some advice now claire to the young Claire Waring, as she was setting off and starting a career, what would it be? I guess it would be don't worry, because <laughs> I've always been an innate worrier. Um, it would just be believe in yourself, don't worry so much, it will all be okay. You know, that that is so often the the response to that question. It, either that or the other one is, is follow your dreams. There are a lot of people... I was interviewed have been talked out of doing what they really wanted to do with their careers by uh -huh. a, a careers master or something they've ended up being an accountant when they really wanted to be a you know I don't know an, an engineer or something and but I mean it's great that you followed what you really wanted to do and, and and interesting to hear that advice as well um for anybody that's setting off on their career now it's it's worth thinking about now I want to finish Claire with uh five quick fire questions for you okay, okay. you ready uh-huh What's your favourite place in Scotland? It is the Monocle Moor Hotel in Balquidder Glen. Oh, don't think I've been there. Oh, it's beautiful. What, why do you like it so much? Oh, I've been going there for years and I've seen it kind of been passed down from mother and father to kind of kids. And it's just one of these places. It just evolves. Every time you go there, it's different. But it's, it's kind of like going home somehow. Um, and I did get married there as well. Oh, so right. it's got okay. a special, special place. On, so you'll be booking a trip there post-lockdown, no doubt. Oh, yes, uh, <laughs> as soon as it's open. <laughs> what was the first record you ever bought? Oh, it was The Specials by The Specials, which oh, really ages me. Good choice. Yeah, in 1979. So that does yeah, age me. Very good. <laughs> it was the same, same vintage as myself. Um, what is your greatest domestic skill? It is making flat pack furniture or building flat pack oh, really? furniture without the instructions. 
Oh, that's an extreme sport. <laughs> no, I'm 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 renowned for it. My family think it's hilarious, but I, I hate following instructions. I think I inherently hate being told what to do. So I'm pretty good at figuring it out. Wow. Well, I'm uh, notorious in the Allen household for also not following instructions on IKEA packs, <laughs> but with exactly the opposite effect. I always completely mess it up. So uh, maybe I should. Uh, lure you around sometime next time we <laughs> we've got some horrendous wardrobe or something to put together um what are you doing this weekend well a couple of walks planned um right. having a homemade pizza session i love making homemade pizzas and i have just started reading a new book um by pauline black it's called black by design so the whole two-tone connection coming oh, through again. Oh, Selector, is it Selector? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And incidentally, I went to my um, undergraduate degree was at what was Coventry Polytechnic, which oh, was right. home of the specials and yeah. two-tone records. So um, I've been wanting to read this book for ages and it's fantastic. So I shall be um, reading more of that this weekend. Well, I wonder if the answer to your final question is related. Who's your hero? Nelson Mandela. Oh, well, so there is. is a connection there, isn't <laughs> yeah, there? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, somebody that never gave up and and always stuck to their principles. So, yeah, just. Uh, I had the twelve inch of free Nelson Mandela, and uh, the worst thing I ever did in my life was I threw all my records in no. a skip. Yeah. No. Yes, I, That's it really is my biggest regret in life. <laughs> <That's sacrilege>. <laughs> Terrible. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking the future is all. CDs and MP3s don't need this lot anymore. So off they all went. Oh, well. It's all back in now, of course, final. <laughs> I know, yeah. Terrible. And of course, now what I started doing to my wife's consternation is rebuying the records I'd thrown away, <laughs> even though they're now three times the price. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Claire, it's been wonderful to, to speak to you and hear about a, a very interesting career and find out a bit more about you personally as well. So thanks very much for your time. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Fraser. Thanks very much to Claire. I would love to hear her on my podcast anytime, or as Selector would have put it, on my radio. I'll get my coat. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again in another two weeks. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.